Good morning. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, now I know why you have an 11, uh, 8.30 service. I was thinking at the 8.30 service, wow, this is half full. We could fit everybody in, and it's great to see so many here at 11. It's neat to see how in the 20 years we've been coming here off and on, how the church has grown, how the church is blessed. Uh, it's been good to get to know Camper and be with you. Uh, my family's here for this service. I'd like to introduce my wife, Patty, and our oldest son, Daniel, and our daughter, Lydia, uh, are all here. Then we have, uh, no offense to the William & Mary students, but we have a, uh, also have a son at Virginia Tech, so please forgive us. We're all, just, re just remember that we're one in Christ and, uh, and that sort of thing. Um, but it's good to be with you. Uh, we appreciate your prayers over the years as we've been in, uh, involved in leadership training now in Africa for uh, almost 20 years. And we've recently transitioned to, uh, uh, we're still with Mission to the World. I want to clarify that because we keep getting asked that on a regular basis. We're still with Mission to the World. That's the um, denomination, uh, denominational mission board of our denomination, the PCA. But we're on loan to Miami International Seminary. Now, I get asked a lot of questions about that because people think traditional resident seminary, but what uh, MINTS is for short, Miami International Seminary, they're basically a seminary planning organization. They don't have a campus. They plant informal study centers uh, around the world that fits very much into a third world context. Uh, that where uh, in third world context, not very many people have a million dollars sitting around to build a campus. Uh, we have small study centers that meet in living rooms. Uh, they meet in maybe church buildings. Uh, we actually have study centers that meet under trees. Uh, so you don't have to have big buildings and impressive campus. You have, need to have people in God's word. Uh, so we're, our ministry is now uh, overseeing the study centers in Africa, which means starting new ones, coordinating the existing ones, uh, teaching when I have the privilege to go over three or four times a year, uh, and a big part of my job is writing the curriculum to be used in, uh, in our Africa training centers. And pray for me for that, because I've been teaching for 20 years. I'm not a writer. Uh, I'm much, more ha I'm much happier teaching than writing, and uh, so that's a big tr transition. So we appreciate your prayers for that, uh, and it's, it's a blessing to be with you. Uh, please take out your bulletin. Notice I, did, I didn't say take out your Bible. Uh, and there's a reason for that. You can take out your Bible if you want to. But uh, in the bulletin on page two uh, are not sermon notes, as you're used to probably, or maybe you're used to a blank sheet of paper. I'm not sure. But I have put the scriptures there. And uh, Kathy said I could send sermon notes. And I said, well, I'm just going to send the text. Um, because this is such a beautiful text, and my goal this morning is to immerse us into the text. I want to bathe you or immerse you uh, in this text. I was thinking two or three years down the road, um, you won't remember the extra things I said, and you shouldn't, uh, but I want you to remember the text. I want God to use this text in your life to impact your view of worship and to impact your view of missions and also to impact how those two go together. What's the biblical relationship between uh, worship and missions? We'd like to look at that this morning. Now, Kathy did not make a bunch of typos and mistakes and uh, leave a lot of spaces by accident. 
you can blame me for that. I said, please lay this out just the way I send it. And there's a reason for this. Um, we have for many years in our, uh, in our Bible study and our teaching, we have for too many years focused on things like word studies and what's this word mean in its context, and that's all good, good things. So we've often focused on the meaning of the text, what's it mean in its original language, what's it mean for me, and that's all really good. Where we haven't been very strong, and by the way, are there any literature majors here? Any lit majors? All right, I saw that blue, the guy in the blue shirt. All right, you especially need to pay attention because uh, <laughs> we are, and you'll appreciate this, we're really gonna look at this as literature because that's what it is. It's God-inspired literature. And one thing we have neglected, and this is a place you can contribute, we've really neglected looking at scripture in terms of its structure, in terms of its form. We think that's maybe too academic. Well, just what does it mean? Well, that's wonderful, but the form of Scripture, the structure, can be a real key to the meaning. Amen? And that's true for any literature. Uh, this is God-inspired literature uh, that, that we have to look at. So the reason it's laid out is to try to promote us to see what structures here, what words are repeated, what parallelisms are there. How does it start? How does it finish? What words are emphasized? What, were, what things are repeated? What does God want us to, to walk away with after we, what should your heart look like after you read this text? And uh, my goal is to really leave us uh, with this text in be, uh, deeply embedded in our souls. So with that in mind, uh, let's read through this text now. Uh, as it's laid out, I'm, I uh, could have used ESV. I didn't know you guys were an ESV church, but... This is a New American Standard, but please follow along with me, and please note the, the parallelisms, the relationships, and not from a technical point of view as such. I'm not trying to be an academician here. I'm trying to say that as we, as we observe these things, it helps us to see what is the Lord really emphasizing in this text. Uh, and the form of, this, of Scripture is also inspired. Uh, it's not just words, but what's the order of those words? What's being emphasized? And uh, I'm trying to highlight that. I used the example this morning. Someone had a yellow highlighter, and I used those too. You ever use yellow highlighters to mark up books? Oh, I, I love doing that. I use my pen, and I use highlighters, and my books are so sloppy and messy, no one else would want to look at them. Well, the writers of Scripture didn't have highlighters. And they used other ways to highlight certain things. And, and those are ways that I've just described. And I think you'll pick up on that as you go through. And I talked to uh, some people this morning that have uh, small groups where they're going to look at that this week. Steve Geisler specifically mentioned that. And this can be a, a format that you can use for notes or you can use for, for future Bible study. It's just the text with some observations on it. Let's look at this now. Psalm 67, God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Selah is a break. It means let's break here and meditate on this. Let's digest this. That thy way may be known on the earth, thy salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise thee, O God. Let all the peoples praise Praise thee, 
Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For thou wilt judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise thee, O God. Let all the peoples praise thee. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. This psalm is such a beautiful psalm. It's actually been called the Old Testament Lord's Prayer. And I think the reason for that is because it sort of goes along the lines with thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, doesn't it? Did you notice the repetition? The earth, the nations, there's very much a universal scope in this psalm, isn't there? Uh, it's, God, it's expressing an intense desire that God would be universally acknowledged, universally praised. Uh, he's, he's, uh, the writer is encouraging us. He's pleading. And that's my first point, that there's a plea for God's blessing. And notice the repetition there. This is called synonymous parallelism. That means these things are repeated. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Why do you think that's repeated three times? You could just say, oh, Lord, bless so-and-so. Don't we pray that way sometimes? Yeah, oh, Lord, bless so-and-so. But this is, I think it's here. It's for number one, it's beauty. It's literature, isn't it? Uh, but number two, it's emphatic. It's emphasized. You can feel the psalmist's heart. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause your face to shine upon us. I want to go to a little bit of application right off the bat here to get this into our heart. Do you ever ask God to bless you? And as I said during first service, you're allowed to talk during my sermons because I teach, not, don't preach. Do you ever ask God to bless you? Yes or no? Nobody? Yes, okay. Some of you had your coffee. All right. But here's the question. Why do you ask God to bless you? And I don't know about you, but do any of you struggle, at least just a tad bit, do any of you struggle with self-centeredness? Or is it just the people in those other churches? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm at the wrong church. I shouldn't have mentioned that. Nobody here struggles with that. Um, do you ever struggle with self-centeredness? I do. It's in our makeup. We're sinful. And the core of our sinful nature is a self-centeredness. And notice the question I have here, in, and it's answered in the text. Why is he asking God to bless them? This is a corporate prayer. God be gracious to us. Why? And oftentimes when I ask to be blessed, it's for a selfish reason. But what's the reason here? And the reason comes out in verse 2. I think that's why there's that ordained break, that, that God-inspired break there. You've just asked for blessing, and the psalmist says, okay, break on that a minute. Why have I just asked for blessing? Why do you ask for blessing? Think about it. For you? For um, some self-centered reason? Like me? That's what I tend to do. But notice verse 2. That thy way may be known on the earth. Thy salvation implied that your salvation may be known among all nations. Why, under the inspiration of the Spirit here, why are the people asking for blessing? 
To do what? Somebody say it, huh? To propagate the word, to spread the gospel. This is a great commission. Thank you, Herb. This is a great commission in the Old Testament. Doesn't this sound like uh, Matthew 28, 18? All authority in heaven and on Mars has been given to me. (laughs) We see we skip over those familiar things so fast. All authority on heaven and on earth is given to me. What's the basis of the Great Commission? It's, it's the basis of the Great Commission is not people's needs. The basis of the Great Commission is God's authority. He's creator of the earth. And then Jesus says, all authority, as Redeemer, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Isn't this similar? That thy way may be known on the earth. Make disciples of all nations. All authority has been given to me on heaven, in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Thy salvation among all nations. Doesn't this sound pretty much like a, the Great Commission? You say yes at this point. All right, good. Just want to make sure. Yes, it does sound like the Great Commission. It's a universal scope. So this is the Great Commission of the Old Testament. People, uh, I, I used to teach uh, for many years biblical basis of missions. And I spent 90% of the course in the Old Testament. And you know why? Because the students come into class automatically thinking Matthew 28. And that's where you start with missions. No, that's not where you start with missions. You start with missions in Genesis. In fact, speaking of Genesis... Let's go back. What, what passage do you think this psalmist had in mind? And I would say Genesis 12. Did you notice the beginning and the end? God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. And then notice the end of the passage. Look down there, the second line of verse 6. God our God blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. There's a couple passages I want to bring to mind here. What about Genesis 12? Genesis 12 is one of the most important passages in Scripture for us to look at because it lays out the plan for the rest of the Bible. God pulls Abraham together. Uh, God pulls Abraham to himself, and he says, Abraham, I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, listen to this, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's God's plan. And then you fast forward to Revelation 5, 9, and 7, 9, and what do you see? You have redeemed for yourself a people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. That's a fulfillment of Genesis 12, right? You can say right. That's a fulfillment of Genesis 12. I want to make sure you're awake. You can't sit through my classes like you do at William and Mary sleep (laughs) there. All right? So... uh, are you awake, William Mary students? All right, I'll tell my son at Tech if you're not. Okay. Um, Genesis 12 is such a key. 
it sets the stage for the rest of the Bible. And by the way, whose children are we called in Galatians 3? If you believe in Christ, you're Moses' children. If you believe in Christ, you're Adam's children. If you believe in Christ, you're Joseph's children. Whose children are we in Genesis th and, uh, Galatians 3? Abraham's. If you believe in Christ, you're Abraham's children, heirs according to the promise. Who's this promise to? It's a promise to God's people. It's not about ethnic Israel. It's all, all those who walk in the steps of Abraham's faith are his children, Romans 4. We're the children of Abraham. This promise is for us. In fact, did you realize that you personally, have you ever thought about this? This is about 4,000 years ago when this text is given or written. Do you realize that you personally are a fulfillment of this text right here, Genesis 12? Did you realize that? Have you? You're a fulfillment of the promise in Genesis 12 that God made to Abraham 4,000 years ago. I like to say, if that doesn't light your fire, then your wood's wet. <laughs> Something's wrong. That should get us excited. You're a fulfillment of this promise. And I believe this promise is being echoed in Psalm, 20, Psalm 67. See, what the writer's doing, under the inspiration of the Spirit, of course, the writer's reaching back and he's crystallizing some passages from the past. For example, did you hear the ironic benediction in this? Number six, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it's right here. Cause his face to shine upon us. That's a priestly blessing. So you see what this writer's doing. Right at the beginning, right in verse 1, he's reaching back to Genesis 12, and he's taking God's promise to Abraham. He's saying, okay, that's, our, that's a basis. This is my promise. And then he's reaching back to a priestly context, uh, number 6, and he's taking a priestly context, and he's putting those both in the context of world missions. Saying, God bless us, what's it mean? And this parallelism, by the way, it's not just beauty, and it's not just emphatic, though it is from a literature point of view, but it's also descriptive. What's it mean to ask God to bless you? It also means to ask God to be gracious to you. It also means to ask God to cause his face to shine upon us. It means to be a recipient of God's favor. That's what it means for God to bless us. But notice the progression in this psalm. There's actually three groups here. The first group is the Trinity, the triune God, who's addressed. The second group is just simply the pronoun us. But who's the third group? The nations. And it's look how many times it occurs here. Verse 2, the earth among the nations. Verse 3, all the peoples, all the peoples. By the way, that's from Genesis 12 because he said, in you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. So the writer's definitely pulling on Genesis 12. All the peoples. Verse 4, the nations, the peoples, the nations. Verse 5, the peoples, all the peoples. Verse 6, the earth. Verse 7, the ends of the earth. Did you get that? And that reminds me of Acts 1.8. You might want to jot down a few cross-references. Cross-references are such a lovely way to do Bible study, aren't they? Because so many verses allude to other verses, even if they don't quote them. 
What's Acts 1.8? That's the last words Jesus said before the ascension. With Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of Mars. Just want to make sure you're awake. To the ends of the earth. You see, we, we go right over these phrases, the earth, but this is so significant because it means it's God's territory. We sang a song. Where's that song, Tim? Note, I can put down here, note what we just sang. Hallelujah, I love that song. Hallelujah to the Lord of heaven and earth. Did we just sing that? What did we sing? You know what we sang? We sang a lot of things. In that phrase, we implied a lot of things. We implied God's creator, and we believe that. We implied that the whole earth belongs to him. And we implied that the whole earth should praise him. We just sang all that. Hallelujah to the Lord of heaven and earth. But here's the issue. What does God use? What or who does God use to bring that about? Who does he use? He uses his people. That thy way may be known on the earth. Thy salvation among all nations. How does that happen? Does God do it? Yes. But God does it through two little letters. Us. U.S. Not the United States. Us. God's people. That's how he does it. I want to ask you, I want to give you an illustration and ask you a question. Imagine if some plumber came to your house and capped off all of your pipes. What would your house look like in a day? Be a mess, wouldn't it? Now, you had good water. You might even have a water purifier and your water's pure. It's been purified. It's the right pH. Doesn't have any chemicals in it. But when that plumber caps it off, your water's going to go haywire, probably going to flood your house, or it's just going to sit there and do nothing. And I would imagine if the water just sits there in the pipes and does nothing for five years, it would probably lose its sense of purity and so forth. You know, sometimes I wonder if we in the, in, excuse me, in the PCA, in our own denomination, and in other really Bible-believing churches where you get really good teaching, sometimes I wonder if we're like that pipe. In other words, too much input, wonderful input, pure input, the purity of the word, but the word has ordained an outlet. And I mentioned this after the second, after the first service, a guy came up to me and said, you know, why is the Dead Sea dead? Good illustration, right? I asked him if I could use it. He only charged me $10 to use this. I said, why is the Dead Sea dead? Oh, water flows in, but it doesn't flow out. Folks, I want to just get personal here. God has ordained input and outflow in every believer's life. And we in the PCA are sometimes a little bit better on the input level than on the output level. We take in wonderful sermons, except mine, and we read wonderful books like you know, R.C. Sproul and James Montgomery Boyce and J.I. Packer, and we listen to John Piper tapes, and you know we have so much fantastic input. I love John Piper. By the way, you know his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. It's the best book that's, I think, outside the Bible that's ever been written on missions, and he took it from, from verse 4, obviously, Let the Nations Be Glad. But what I want to ask you is, is your output 
keeping up with your input. You see, God has blessed you in many ways. So there's a couple questions here. Question one is, do you realize, do I realize, do we realize how much we're blessed? Do we? It's gotten awful quiet here. You hear a pin drop. Do we realize how much we've been blessed? And secondly, do we get the connection that God said to Abraham, and you shall, I will bless you, and you shall be a blessing? And that's what's happened here. He's saying, God bless us that your way would be known. See, when God blesses you with privilege, with that comes responsibility to carry on, to propagate, as Herb said, his word. Can God trust you with those blessings? Or are we like that pipe that's kind of capped off on one end? Or does God know when he blesses us that we're going to be a pipeline, a conduit of blessing? And that the blessings come in here and they go out here. Really, that's what the Christian life is all about, isn't it? It's about passing on the blessings of God. He blesses Abraham that Abraham would be a blessing, and he promises that for his children, and you're one of those. Can God trust you with his blessings? And what do you do with those blessings? Am I a good steward with those blessings? And you know what the number one enemy of that is? My self-centeredness. Of course, I'm not minimizing our exterior enemy, the, the, the devil, but that's the enemy that we usually have in mind. The number one enemy of that is my selfishness. And this psalm is, causing, is, is, is asking me, it's challenging me, rise out of my selfishness and be committed to the Great Commission. And that's the relationship between worship and missions. We come in and we worship, and that's what they're doing. Look at the, look at the worship here. Verses 3 and 5 are the refrain, like a refrain in a song. This is a poem. And did you notice verses 3 and 5 are identical? And I put them in italics because that. They're the refrain. Let the peoples praise thee, O God. Let all the peoples praise thee. And that's not enough to say it once, so he says it again. Emphasis, it's emphatic. Let the peoples praise thee, O God. Let all the peoples praise thee. And I put that praise in, in boldface because I wanted you to see the other synonyms there. Let the nations be, to be glad and to sing for joy is praise, right? We just did that. The music team, we love your music team. Can we come back every Sunday just uh, you know, for the music and, and, and good coffee too? Um, let the, we were just led in praise, and God has ordained that. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. That's part of what it means to praise. And even in, at the end of verse 8, that all the ends of the earth may what? May fear him. That's a reverential phrase. Those are a reverential praise. Those are all synonyms. And isn't that what this, uh, what this text is caught up with, really, at the end of the day? Isn't it all about God's praise? You're supposed to say yes at this point. I need a little sign here to tell you guys when to, all right, just to make sure you're awake. Um, that's what this psalm is all about. And this is a, a, an important lesson. Missions has to be God-centered. Now, and let me define missions as well. Missions is not just what certain people do in, over those, in other countries over there. Where's the mission field start? 
It starts right here. Jerusalem, your own area, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And I think a healthy church is focused on all three of those. We focus on our own Jerusalem, not to the exclusion of the ends of the earth, but some, some churches just focus on their own Jerusalem, forget the ends of the earth. Some churches are so focused on the ends of the earth, their view of missions is a check and a prayer. That's not healthy either. There's got to be a, it's all three. It's our own local area. It's our ge regional area, our Judea and Samaria. You might call that Virginia. You might call that the U.S. And it's the ends of the earth. They're concentric circles of balance, are they? It's why should I be, why should I be so concerned about a lost soul in Bangkok and I'm not so concerned about a lost soul in Williamsburg? Something's wrong with that picture. Oh, well, the lost souls in Bangkok, that's really important. Lost souls in Williamsburg, it's not a big deal. That's weird thinking. You know, we see how we dichotomize, and then we say reaching lost souls in Bangkok's real spiritual, because their name then goes on the bulletin. But reaching a lost soul in governor's land, no, that's not too spiritual. Well, wait a minute. You know, my point is here that missions is something that we can all do. That cup of water in Jesus' name, that's missions. That lady meeting with another lady over tea just to encourage her, how are you doing? Uh, how can I pray for you? That's ministry. That's missions. How many people can do that? A guy asked me on the coffee break this morning uh, about call. What do you think about call? And I said, you know, it's pretty easy. We're all called. Every believer is called to be salt and light. Is that true? Matthew 5? No, that's just for teaching elders. It says so right there. I like to say it's right out of the Bible because it sure isn't in it. We're, <laughs> we're, all, we're, we're, all, we're all called to be salt and light. There's a calling among all believers. We're all called to be salt and light. Ephesians 4.12, we're all to be equipped for ministry. And by the way, Camper, can I say something? Uh, and is Steve Tewksbury here? Or did he take off to do his monkey survey? Where did he do? Yeah. <laughs> I like that in the bulletin. I, I thought, well, that fits. I'm kind of a monkey, and they're surveying us teaching elders that are monkeys. But can I say something, too, about, about that? Is that whoever you call, make sure of this. The person you call has to understand that the ministry belongs to the people, not to the pulpit. Ephesians 4.12, leadership equips the saints for ministry. That's a whole other sermon. But who's to do ministry? You are. See, what I'm trying to say here to get to the bottom line is in, as we digest this passage, God blesses you to be a blessing to others. Will you be that pipeline of blessing? How, does, how has God blessed you and how does he want to use you to bless others? And you know what, William and Mary students, that makes every vocation a holy calling. I don't care if you go into literature. I don't care if you go into nursing. Um, my son is, one son's going into biology. This son's planning on going into teaching because he's a great teacher. Uh, I don't care what you go into. That's a calling from God. And God will bless you and use you in that calling to be salt and light. Let's commit to that. Let's be salt and light in the schools. Let's be salt and light in the workplace. Let's be salt and light wherever we are. Uh, that's, a, that's a key thing in this passage. And what's the goal of missions? That was the understanding of missions. 
But what's the goal of missions in this passage? And Herb can't say because he said in the first service. Oh, you didn't. That was somebody else. Okay, Herb can't say that. What's the goal of missions in this passage? The primary goal. It's worship. See, that's the relationship. Most people say, well, I'm doing missions to save people or to encourage people or to minister to people. And that's wonderful. And keep doing that. But just remember, that's the penultimate purpose of missions. The ultimate purpose of missions is the glory of God. And that's the real motive for all that we do, right? Because, listen, when you minister to people, it gets messy and you'll get disappointed. And guess what? Somebody will have the audacity to not appreciate what you did for them. Can you believe it? You know, you might really be at reaching out to someone and they actually might not appreciate it. In fact, they, they might get mad at you. Uh, you see, when, when we really get into ministry and the hands, we get in the trenches and our hands get messy, we need to remember who we're really doing this for. And our real motivation of ministering to people is so that they worship and serve the God who created and redeemed them. That's really the goal. That God would get more and more of the, of the praise that he deserves. So missions and worship are like a cycle. We, as we come to worship, what's that do? It empowers us for missions. It motivates us for missions. It renews and refreshes our tired spirits for missions. And I just mean ministry to others. And then as we do ministry, what's the goal of that? The ultimate goal is more worship to the Lord. I used the example of VBS. Do you do VBS for children? Yes. But what's your real goal? Your real goal is that those children would be raised up to be sons and daughters of the king and serve and worship him with all their hearts, with all their lives, right? That's the real goal. Therefore, that gives every ministry of the church a God-directed orientation, whether it's VBS or whatever it is. Is that right? Everything we do is God-directed. And uh, uh, that, that's such a key thing. And that reminds me of something I wanted to point out. I would like you to spend more time in this text, maybe with a group. And some groups might do that this week. I saw you have groups that do sermon review. I want to just give you like a, 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 another example of how you can add to this. Um, I couldn't do a circle on my computer because I didn't know how. But I know you laugh because a lot of you guys do. But notice, for example, how emphatic this is to make sure that we understand this passage is all about God and it's God-centered. Look how it starts. You have it there on page two. First word in the psalm. You sleeping? First word in the psalm. God. And then look, it starts out with God's name. And then look at the refrain. Let the peoples praise thee. What? Oh God. That's there for a reason. And then verse 5. Let the peoples praise thee. Oh God. You're, you all catch on quick. You can be taught. Even William and Mary students can be taught. How about that? All right. And... Um, then, down here, God, our God. See the emphasis? God bless us. So, whether it's at the beginning or the middle or the end, God's name is, is emphatic, isn't it? It's a God-centered psalm. But let me show you something else. I, I would like you to, if you will, circle that at verse 2, and then circle the that at the bottom. Do you see how those go together? Nobody said a thing. Do you see how those go together? 
It's getting late. You're all thinking about lunch now. That thy way may be known on the earth, and then that all the ends of the earth may fear him. Notice the parallels there. That's the purpose. But what I want to mention there is uh, I want to teach you about one thing. Oftentimes, passages of Scripture go full circle. They start and they end with the same idea. That's called an inclusion. And when that happens, that means that the way that it starts and it ends is the theme. That's the focus. And that's what I've focused on today. So look at how the start and the end is the same. It, verse 1 it's God be, bless us, let's do shorthand, God bless us that your way may be known in the earth. And then look at the end of the psalm, God bless us that the ends of the earth may fear you. Do you see that? The psalm is beautifully poetical. It starts and ends with the same thing, doesn't it? It's poetry and it's a beauty, beautiful thing. And that's what, that's what the author of scripture wants us to leave with. God blesses us that the ends of the earth may fear him. And that's what I want you to leave with because I want you to leave uh, not with what I've added, but with God's word. Can uh, I commit us now to, uh, can I commit all of us to this passage uh, in prayer before we go? Let's bow in prayer. We will have a hymn of response uh, after that.